0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Salt Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm a partner at SkyBridge Capital, as well as the managing director of Salt, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. Salt Talks is a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these talks is the same as our goal at our Salt Conferences, which is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to welcome two guests from Deloitte uh, on, on the SALT Talk. The first one is Richard Rosenthal. Richard is a principal in Deloitte's advisory practice. He leads complex and transformative projects, supporting banking, crypto native and FinTech clients in setting up new entities, enabling M&A activity, launching digital asset products, and addressing a broad range of regulatory and risk areas within the U.S. banking system. Richard leads Deloitte's Business and Entity Transformation Integrated Services and also leads Deloitte's Digital Assets Banking Regulatory Practice. Roy Ben-Hur is the Digital Assets Financial Services Leader for Deloitte Advisory. He's been a consultant in the financial services industry for 23 years and brings deep industry experience and a background leading large-scale integration programs supporting businesses, supporting business, compliance, risk, regulatory, and technology transformation initiatives. Roy's engagements in the digital asset space include supporting clients as they establish buy, hold, custody, sell, and lend business models, leading digital assets regulatory applications, and assisting clients uh, who enhance their risk and control frameworks to manage digital assets. Richard and Roy, it's a pleasure to have you both on here today, and and great to see an esteemed institution like Deloitte uh, dedicating so many seasoned and experienced and smart people like yourselves to helping people understand and navigate the digital asset space. Let's start first with Richard. Uh, Could you talk us, in your own words, I know I read a little bit of your bio there, but in your own words, your own journey to Deloitte and your own journey now into working on blockchain within Deloitte?
1: Yeah, no problem, and, and glad to be here, John, and, and a pleasure to be working with you guys on this. Um, you know, I think it—I it, I am a homegrown Deloitte product. I've been with the firm almost, uh, I think, fourteen years now, and I joined uh, pre-financial crisis, actually. And so, kind of, actually, the times we're in a little bit remind me of the market volatility and that kind of feeling that we have uh, right now as we try to unpack recent market events. Um, but you know, I through the firm, I've been—I've been kind of known as the nebulous guy, meaning. Large transformations where there's no playbook, or you know, where you have to kind of work through a new set of regulations. So, post the last financial crisis, I implemented a lot of the uh, ref- the financial reforms that came from Dodd Frank. Um, now, if we kind of fast forward to today, we have clients that want to enter a, a new range of products. They want to how do I engage with distributed ledger technology? How do I launch digital assets? What does good look like? Um, and because of my background and working across a range of issues and, and tough topics for the firm, I found myself in a place where increasingly we were getting questions. Um, you know, hey, I'm um, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm in payments, I'm a money transmitter, but I want to do digital assets. I want to move uh, crypto. Um, what license? What do I need to do? And so as as the years have gone on, and 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 it's moved more from let's call it a few companies working through these issues to more mainstream, I found myself front and center. Um, and and frankly, you know, at the same time that was happening, clients were asking me, I was going through my own personal journey, um, you know, reading, you know, kind of, you start with the, the Satoshi white paper, you go through your own learning, uh, you know, deep dive through through the internet. And so I, I was doing that at the same time. So, you know, at so the same time, there's a professional and personal interest And as you will see today, there's some underlying technology and transformation trends that I think Roy and I are both believe in. And and that's kind of both why we've invested personal time, both professionally and personally, in this topic. And so they've kind of met nicely. And now I find myself um, now kind of fast forward to today, um, you know, leading some tough projects and working through some tough issues for our clients.
0: That's fair to say. Um, Roy, how about yourself? Same question to you. How'd you... Arrive at Deloitte, and how do you arrive at working within the uh blockchain digital assets practice
2: so thank you, thank you, John. And again, I like what Richard said. Uh, glad to be here and and working with 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 salt and and kind of having this this discussion um to, so similar to richard Richard's journey, uh you know I've got a little bit more years than Richard. I've been with Deloitte for over twenty three years. I actually started my career in Tel Aviv worked in London for a couple of years and then and moved to the US. Uh, but throughout the journey, I think our support has been working with clients around disruption and changes and innovation in the industry. Uh, and, and I've been spending, I spent most of my life within the capital markets uh, industry, working with broker dealers and exchanges. Uh, and back in mid 2010, we were approached by a few clients who were trying to launch capabilities in that space. There were native cryptos that are trying to move into the, 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 the financial services or more of the regulated domain, seeking broker dealer license approvals and the like. And And just echoing what Richard said, right? Our ability was at that point, it's clearly a, an upcoming technology, it's gonna change the way financial services operate We need to learn, we need to brace ourselves, we need to build capability in this space. So My journey started with uh, really understanding what what blockchain is, really understanding what Bitcoin is, reading the the Satoshi White Paper, reading other publications, trying to understand that, and then thinking about with those capabilities, how do we help our clients operate within the known regulatory parameters and the known capabilities, to achieve those licenses, to get to that point, to have that dialogue with both businesses and regulators around the benefits of what 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 DLT and the products that sit under under that capabilities could could provide them. And 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 frankly, we're having the same discussion now with anyone of. So we we've built a team, uh, Rich and ourselves, and the brother Deloitte team who's supporting that. And as we bring in new uh new resources both internally at Deloitte or people that we bring along the industry. The first item is it's not too late to join. It's it's an area that's evolving. There are new new newly changes every time, protocol are changes, regulation are evolving. You know, personalize personally invest yourself in learning and understanding it. Uh, and we have you know we have training that we have developed in, in Deloitte around that, but also we are looking for people who are interested in this space spend their time to learn and evolve and, and support our client in, in this area.
0: Fantastic. Well, it's great to have two, like I said, uh, smart, experienced people like yourselves that have taken an interest in this personally and professionally that are helping helping people to navigate uh, the challenges of an emerging industry. And speaking about those challenges that that Richard referred to, we'll stick with Roy uh, to, to start the answer to this question. I'll have Richard weigh in as well. But We've certainly seen significant uh, disruption, you could call it, following FTX's uh, failure and bankruptcy and the fallout from that. I think you could argue about whether this is a problem with the technology, the underlying, underlying technology, which I don't think it is, uh, or just a failure of regulatory oversight and um, suspended disbelief from investors, I guess. But how has the FTX fallout impacted your work and changed any of your previous conceptions uh, that you've had around the blockchain and crypto space, and any of the conceptions of clients that you work with in the space?
2: So, c- clearly, recent market events um, have disrupted the discussion we're having with a number of our clients, um, as well as internally in terms of the approach around it. But if I look at the underlying capabilities of what digital ledger technology blockchain provided the industry, those discussions are not. Going to change, right? So we we believe on the future of the disruption or the ability of the technology to transform existing banking and payments rails. We believe in the future of tokenization. We believe in the ability of those capabilities to again transform the industry. And if you've seen a number of you know recent industry papers coming from leaders in the industry you know will, will be larry fink from blackrock who spoke about tokenization of about a week ago or david salmon from uh from goldman sachs or robin vince from bnym um uh, all mentioning the fact that the underlying technology and that's a discussion around it is easier is and is going to help us really improve the underlying or the existing banking and payments trails that's been been there for you know twenty or thirty years ago. So yeah. you know I can age myself. I learned programming in Kabul. I can still look look at those legacy systems and 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 help them. but th- those technologies are are uh, are aging, and we need a solution for that. so we we believe and that that's not going to change, the underlying use cases, we are and we are involved in a number of industry collaboration. Projects that are specifically looking at that, looking at can this technology disrupt existing payment trails? So, actually, I want to call it disrupt, improve the uh, existing payment trails. But right. and then at the same time, if we speak about the product, and again, I, I, I'll let others, you know, and in, in, I'm sure there'll be a lot of investigation, researching against the recent market events. But if you take the existing, you know, Bitcoin, EAT, any of the other products that are sitting there, or well, people who want to invest in them and invest in them within existing, you know, played regulatory parameters, those controls and helping clients build capabilities within those controls really will help us and the broader industry mature and provide customer protection, resiliency, uh, and security to, to those markets. Richard, any any thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing to add, you know, I think you covered kind of the the underlying you know belief and, and, and trajectory of the technology, I just want, would add that when we approach projects where maybe the regulatory framework is still being written and it's not all that clear, and people operate cross-border, and the statutory text says something. And um, you know, what we do, and this hasn't changed for us, is we borrow from banking and capital market regulatory playbooks. Best execution, segregation of assets, um, capital and liquidity governance processes, uh, you know, you know, conflicts of interest. Um, you know, you know, all of that. When we do work right now, we have to bring those concepts forward, even if the client's in a situation where maybe the license only requires X, Y, and Z, because honestly, the, these tools, these frameworks, they've proven to work. And so we think that the rules, as they're written, um, will include these concepts. So you know, we find ourselves in situations where um, we're trying to uh, work towards taking the high road um, in all cases with clients. Um, and so that means that we are putting forward requirements or capabilities or things that you would need to do. that might not be uh, a law yet. And so I think the the takeaway also for us is we're on the right track with that we have the right, you know, we need to stick, stick with our instincts on 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 that work. And I think we're all just going to be in this environment where maybe it's more uncertain than we'd all like. You know, we would like legislation or there are some gaps noted in the regulatory framework. We're going to talk about those. You know, it would be nice. Um, maybe this, as, as, you know, in previous crises, even when I started my opening, sometimes it takes a crisis to get the clarity you want to have. I hope that we can get some of that. Um, but in lieu of that, we're going to try to um, help clients, you know, work through these issues.
0: Before we have that deep dive into regulation, the current regulatory environment where we think it should land, I'd like to hear from both of you. And we'll start with you, Richard, about what do you think the big use case and applications are for blockchain uh, within you know the future of finance, and and where do you see digital assets playing the biggest role in the future of financial services?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think Roy kind of alluded a little bit to it, but um, clearly um, there is a an an issue in the payment space where you know it just takes too long for money to settle, um, and it's just too expensive um, in some cases with wire and ACH fees and and things of that nature. It should be for both peer to peer, but then B 2 B, you know, can we get money to move more quickly, more dynamically, um, with then the assurances of a blockchain where you know it's there. Uh, You know, you can count on it. You can see it and feel it. Um, So, the cross border um, settlement use case is one that I think everyone's trying to attack. But then you just have this broad tokenization theme where, whether it's real estate, equity, fixed income, if I can make that asset programmable, if I can make it digitized, I can do a lot more with it. You know, I can, I can, you know, anchor it uh, to my Web3 app. I could, you know, I could be playing a game and I could have this, you know, digital asset that's tied to it. So, um, you know, there are things that blockchain is good at. There are things that it's not. Um, You know, it's really good at record keeping. It's really good at making sure you can trust that information. Um, It's it's good at automating certain features because you can write smart contracts on top of the ledger where you could say, hey, distribute this money here um, and, and just make that repeated. So there's a lot of real world use cases from titles to licenses to payment flows, where I think we're really excited about. And when you start thinking about the connection on the Web3 um, and the way people want to maybe even engage in the metaverse or other things like that, you kind of need uh, this kind of infrastructure if you're going to pull some of that off. Um, so, you know, we see a range of, of, of you know, uh, you know financial services-oriented use cases. Um, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, the digital currency development, central bank digital currency um, there's some really cool uh, applications that we can think about there. But um, that's what I'd kind of start off with, John. Um,
0: and Roy, you, you talked about your background working with exchanges and and to editorialize on our side a little bit. One of the, the areas that we're really excited about is that if you look at derivatives exchanges, for example, they haven't had a major update since uh, you know the 1980s, really, uh, where you have a, a duopoly with CME and ICE, and I'm not criticizing those organizations necessarily, but you haven't seen the type of competition and innovation that would lead you to better market structure that would uh, improve the efficiency of capital markets. And, and we're certainly interested in the idea of a tokenized capital markets where it's not T plus two, not T plus five as it used to be, but it's basically T plus zero or instantaneous settlement that, that allows for greater capital efficiency. Do you think it's realistic for us in the next five years to see Uh, sort of a disruption of the exchange marketplace in such a way that uh, allows us to have quicker settlement and all the benefits that come along with that?
2: I I strongly believe we do. So you're talking about the number of uh, forces that actually be happening in parallel. So US side, unrelated to digital asset, we have the accelerated settlement that's in, in flight when we're waiting for some guidance from the regulators in terms of when is the, the go-live date for that? And in there, we're moving from a T2 to a T1 execution. And Deloitte actually has been behind it. We have been supporting the industry working group to put a proposal in front of the regulator and, and move forward with that. That, that. that has nothing to do with, with digital assets. However, the analogy I'll put in place, we've been supporting, when we supported T3 to T2, it was more of, you you squeeze another hole in your belt in your belt. So you squeeze the belt on, you get it within existing processes. When you're moving from a T2 to a T1, it's clearly requires an underlying changes of the supporting technology. Now it doesn't look at the exchanges, but it looks at the process that supports around the exchanges. So how do you work around, you know, with, be, between between the the, the the capital markets players, the buy, the sell side, the buy side players within existing uh, processes today, the batch processes that will not be able to afford the timing, and how do you lean on a more automated technology? And that's where digital ledger technology will come into place with automated, you know, instantaneous settlements or atomic settlement help helping those those, uh, processes. However, it will require massive change to existing processes you know some of the businesses that we do today like repo or cross-border that richard was speaking about will need to change to account for that or the notion of netting now going back to your question john will this happen within the next five years yes i think it will require uh, and we'll speak about some of the ideas we we're doing in this space it will require what i call a private public collaboration where the industry will come and say we are proposing to use to change those processes a to move to a T plus one, and long term to move to a T plus zero, or you know, real time growth settlement at, at, at that point. Uh, and when when we do that, we will use this set of capabilities of technologies. Not clearly not selecting a single protocol technology, but giving those capabilities, and then engaging with the regulator to say those are the potential changes that will need to to be uh, amended. Within existing regulatory uh, uh, regulate regulations to allow us to move to that point, so th- that that dialogue, John, will happen within the, within the next five years.
0: Let's talk about regulation. I think regulation is sort of the elephant in the room now. After some of the failure of centralized exchanges, many of which operate offshore uh, due to the absence of U.S. regulation and the the presence of some sort of regulation in those. Offshore jurisdictions that might not be as rigorous uh, as as we might hope in order to protect consumers. But uh, you know, one of the silver linings potentially of the FTX failure is it might accelerate the U.S. government's um, motivation to tackle crypto regulation in order to protect consumers. But uh, we'll start with you, Roy, on this one. How broadly are you guys helping clients navigate sort of the uncertainty around? wanting to innovate and push into this new asset class and and this new form of financial infrastructure, but also not running afoul of regulators who haven't yet uh, put together a formal framework for how they're gonna regulate certain aspects of the space.
2: So, and I I like what Richard said before, right? So we we are operating in an area where there is a little bit of ambiguity or lack of clarity. But however, there are a set of defined regulatory Parameters. There are certain set of rules that you can say, "Hey, yeah, I'm moving into an unregulated area, but I can take and apply those rules that exist today for other products and other domains and operate and, and base my future assumptions around, you know, those regulations will, will apply for this. And the discussion we're having, so if, if I break it into two areas, I've got we have clients who are saying, I want to get. A new regulation and then a new license, and apply for regulatory approval for a certain domain, be it New York DFS or, or other or, or other areas. And in there, we know what are the current set regulatory uh, requirements. If they are thinking about a new product that is is currently not defined or regulated within within the current within within the current regulatory domain, then the discussion is what can you apply within the known regulatory to allow us to, to feel comfortable that we are operating with, within what we feel comfortable having a dialogue with a client around, you know, this, this those are the assumptions that I've made when I made my business decision to move forward. This is how I'm protecting client assets. This is how I'm making sure that my system is resilient enough to support any issues around, around uh, in outages in the market. This is how I'm protecting the broader market. This is how I'm surveilling for potential market manipulation. Again, taking those rules that exist today and applying it to my new set of, of product capabilities. If again, if you've you've looked at the recent market events and said, you know, within within the US parameter, we we have used those rules. But even if you think about globally, what are the leading regulatory practices we have applied? That might mitigate some of the risks that we've seen you know take place today and richard i'm not sure if you have any other thoughts around this yeah i mean
1: i i think i think you kind of i think you kind of summed it up well i mean just to kind of take a just a little bit of a step back just to kind of frame the situation a little bit you know will we get in each of the countries that that these these companies are operating in do you have legislation on the books do you see any any pathway if we focus on the us john to your point We have a couple bills floating around. We had one on, um, you know, in the Senate Ag Committee that was looking at kind of the spot market. Um, The CFTC lacks some authorities that they want to have to provide oversight of of commodities uh, like like Bitcoin. Um, You had a stablecoin bill that maybe was getting traction um, in the in the House Financial Services uh, Committee. Um, Do all those priorities change because now the oversight of exchanges? You know, kind of comes front and center. You know, do you leverage the the Loomis Gillibrand bill, which was a broader framework like bill, which is another bill in Congress? Um, and then some will say, "Hey, you know, the SEC has authority today." And what are you know what what's their what's their next move? So you have this whole conversation. I do think that the the momentum is building back on the hill. And in any postmortem, you have people, you know, in some respects, pointing fingers and say, "What happened?" What what went wrong? You know, is you know, there's an offshore U.S. dynamic. Could we have prevented the same situation? So that is all playing out right now. We also have the fact that supervisors and regulators have enforcement tools today. Um, so each of them, the banking regulators and the capital market regulators are 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 now, I think, feeling even more emboldened. Our, our thesis before this conversation was. The, the head of the agency and the mandate of that agency, that's what to watch for. That's what's going to dictate how that agency moves forward. And they've been pretty public about it. The banking regulators have said, I want a non-objection. They basically put in breaks on a lot of projects where banks were trying to launch things. They want them to come go through permissibility, risk and controls, risk appetite. And they're taking their time. And even probably taking more time now. So there was almost that kind of wall in banking. Um, there's been some stuff historically, um, and we can talk about what they're looking for permissionless versus permissioned and some of the things that they, they want to see on the capital market side. We saw a lot of enforcement actions. We've seen more cases. We've seen more activity, right? Um, there's a lot of bilateral dialogue going on. Um, we saw SAB 121, which came out of the SEC, which said, um, If you're safeguarding crypto assets, you need to disclose that and put on balance sheet. That's a big deal. That That's one of those kind of more technical accounting pronouncements. It's treated as U.S. GAAP that's actually had a major impact on adoption. Um, so we're watching all of these things, enforcement, supervisory action, legislative. And we have a very complex system in the U.S. We have like 10 plus federal regulators. And we have 50 state regulators. If you look at how things are playing out today, a lot of the regulations actually at the state level. So a lot of the exchanges are money transmitters, or they have a bit license in the state of New York, or they have a trust entity, right? They're not registered as through that exchange or the broker dealer uh, framework, right? Um, so that's kind of coming back to the, this Roy and I's whole theme as we take in these things, we're analyzing them, we're looking at them, but we're still kind of keeping that that high bar on what good looks like. Because honestly, we do think whichever way that road travels, whether it comes quicker with a nice legislative action, which maybe is you know, more comprehensive, and it has the answers the industry wants, which is who regulates what and what's the security. And you know we're hoping, but if it doesn't, we need to be prepared for navigating that and working through those issues. Um, you know, within a fairly complex U.S. environment, we we have a more complex regulatory system um, than the UK, as an example. Um, there is no CFTC or SEC in the UK, um, so we we have a unique we have a unique set of questions we face. I think that people don't always recognize in the debate that that some don't.
0: Do you have a view on where we should land? So you talked about all the different bills that that are circulating through Congress. You talked about sort of the battle for jurisdiction going on between the SEC and the CFTC. How much does Deloitte play a role in talking to lawmakers in Washington and offering their opinion on where regulation should land versus just analyzing the landscape and helping your clients navigate whatever the outcome of of the regulatory conversation is?
1: So we participate in industry consortium groups. Roy will talk about a project that we're working on with the Fed and and um, and uh, 12 banks or so, and, and he'll dive into that. And so in that, we're actually developing standards and like working through proof of concepts, and that's on central bank digital currencies. We're participating in a industry white paper on what is custody, um, another example. Right. Um, we also do um, sit down um, from time to time and talk with regulators about best practices and leading practices and things that we think that are um, you know, you know, obviously on a no names basis, but on a macro picture, things that we think would be helpful because they are also trying to learn and trying to figure out what they need to focus on. So I think that channel's been good. Um, I think we're, you know, less involved in in the 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 machinations of the hill. Um, but you know, to the extent that um we, we can provide a perspective and a point of view, we try. Um would be my take, and Roy,
2: if you want to add something to that, might, I I totally echo what you said, right? So, John, we, we clearly don't do promote regulatory changes. We support the industry, and when the discussion with the industry is happening, the law is part of parcel of the industry, and while I call it private, pri- I call before private public collaboration, where we help the, the 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 regulator learn more, get better educated, educated on what does it really mean to do on chain custody, right? what are the risks what are the issues and and again bringing the regulatory agencies along that the journey potentially helps the legislative process around it
0: very good tell us more about your work on cbdcs you know cbdcs are a somewhat divisive topic you know some people think that they run uh, sort of antithetical to the ethos of crypto which is decentralization lack of state control things of those nature but um, those nature, but CBDCs do offer a lot of utility and a lot of promise in a number of ways in terms of governments being able to execute policy initiatives, whether it be stimulus or or other things. Could you talk about your work uh, on CBDCs, your view of of what type of future they have uh, within the U.S. and globally?
1: Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say I do think you you point out that there are a number of tradeoffs, um, and the design is super important, right? There's a there's a privacy element. There's a scalability element. Um, there's a number of projects going around the world. You know, um, you know, China's got a project. Uh, the UK has got a project. The US has a project. Um, all are looking at different designs: wholesale versus retail. Um, what use cases are they trying to solve? How do they respect the privacy question? Right? Because you could see this going into a, a direction Great. that's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then you brought up the stimulus thing. There's some real things you can get money. You could potentially do more for the underserved you could potentially do better right so you got to balance those things um you know i think we're in um i think roy will um build on this but the private public partnership we really got to work together on this and it has to have a set of standards there are some financial market utilities that work pretty well in the market today that serve a function cls is an example that gets talked about a bunch they help fx settlement risk when two banks are trying to settle FX transactions, there's the risk that they don't trust each other and that it won't work out. And so there's an in- intermediate put, put in place. And that's worked really well. That's reduced systemic risk. That's allowed the FX market to function better. Um, you know, So can we take the standards that are set? That, that entity is regulated by something like 17 regulators. It's global. It's cross-border. It deals with 15-plus currencies. Um, and it's got a good set of standards. Now that doesn't deal with the retail question, right of consumers facing things. But if we take some of that, um and then we take the technology and we work towards it, I think we're very much a walk before you run. Can we preserve the fractional banking system? I think the regulators and the national government like the idea that banks make loans and the banks can provide financing. so we I don't think the u s. wants to necessarily displace or disintermediate the bank's role in AML and the bank's role in financing and capital flows. So, you know, then you're starting to move maybe more towards a wholesale model, you know, in the U S where you, you know, and, and so I, I, I think, um you know, it's, it's to me, it's, it's, we, we don't have all those answers yet. I don't think we can definitively say we've checked the box on privacy concerns yet, or all those, I think we need to do the work. We have to do the work now. And it's gotta be, it's a national priority, frankly. Um, you know, to work through those issues. I don't, Roy. What, what, what would you add to that?
2: No, I, I, I echo what you said. So if, again, sorry for the issue before. 95 percent of data. Ninety-five percent of, of, of uh, central banks are exploring, or or, or countries are exploring, uh, that the use of CBDC or some permutation of it. But but, and and also, if you look at global uh, global. Uh, initiatives around it. Clearly, we have what's what's happening in in, in China with uh, with the Inner Um There is there is a pilot initiated, I believe, a couple of weeks ago in India that includes both uh wholesale and retail CBDC. And 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 the the underlying questions around it is depending on the countries you are at. Right? Is is a CBDC needed? What benefit does it provide? Um, to the current systems from the ability of of you know pushing more access to 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 uh capital and actually banking to the underserved. So that's the that's the retail side of it. Um, from, from a corporate side of it, I think as Richard said, right, we 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 in side, that thought process is as they think as we think about a, a CBDC, it's also how do we maintain that the, the two-tier system. So, how do we don't challenge the two-tier systems? Because there are there are certain services that the two two-tier system maintains from, from a banking perspective. So, specifically on that area, what what we help the industry, I think what Richard alluded to earlier is we, we are involved in a, in a pilot, an industry pilot that's named the regulated liability network. And the notion behind the regulated liability network is A set of regulated entities banks and non-banks operated together uh, on a blockchain solution that will operate 24 7 365 alongside the regulators and you will able to transact with uh, an equivalent of uh, you know a fed provider provided token which is still not a cbdc but allows you to do payments and then Banking or or banks or non-banks, while regulated, will be able to transact and move money in a a faster manner that's done today. So, in that sense, you are getting the benefit of a CBDC while maintaining the two-tier systems and protecting the, the, the current structure. So, you're not you're not unstabilizing that. And then the question is, within that notion, what will be the retail element of it? How can you extend those capabilities down the line? Into the retail consumers use, using the same structure, so it will be an easier access to, uh, to uh, a retail CBDC-like solution, but you will not need to address the privacy issues. you will not need to address the concerns around you know it, will the Fed maintain you know the privacy information of all the citizens who would like to, to, to bank with them if it will be a full-blown retail CBDC solution. Right.
0: We've been talking a lot about US regulation, but there's also a lot of efforts afoot internationally uh, around comprehensive regulatory frameworks. The EU recently had a 28 to one vote to approve MICA uh, crypto framework. Um, you had the Biden executive order in the US, which we've covered a little bit. You have the UK working towards trying to regulate the space. You know, The, the new prime minister, Rishi, Rishi Sunak, is, is keen on making the UK a destination for blockchain-based companies to, to be able to innovate. What are you seeing? Are you seeing examples of uh, countries or regions of the world that are doing a good job around proactive regulation that's also rigorous and, and comprehensive? But uh, what's your overall, and we'll start with Richard on this one, what's your overall view of the way global regulators are are tackling crypto right now?
1: Yeah, I think I think I think Micah is, is a good call out. I mean that 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 is a comprehensive uh, you know, there's there's things it doesn't uh, tackle, but um, you know, all the EU to get on board with that and that to be treated as as um, kind of a statutory framework to then regulate. I mean, that that's that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big step for the EU to take that. So it deals with you know stable point issuance, it deals with custody. So um, you know, to date, you know, you historically saw people bring up Switzerland and and you know, you know Germany and 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 um, you know some uh, you know Singapore is another country that's that's tried to be a little bit more proactive. I think everybody is taking stock of recent market events and saying, does my regulatory framework care for these types of issues? Do I have a conflicts of interest, affiliate governance kind of thing going? You know, so I do think you're going to see, um, and again, depending on the setup. Like how many regulators do you have the CFTC, SEC kind of dynamic? I think each of these bills kind of takes a different shape, but they're all kind of trying to, starting to deal with the, the same stuff, you know, custody, stablecoin coin issuance, DeFi is a little bit out in the distance. I don't think you see folks tackle that as head on because I think regulators have a tougher time. What do you anchor to? Is it really decentralized? Who is the legal entity? So it's almost like you have these systemic risk topics and you go in order, like, you know, exchanges, custody, stable coins. Um, and I think they're trying to keep up. And I do think that um, we are, we run the risk of falling behind and kind of a comprehensive solution. I mean, you know, we generally like to lead on, uh, you know, having a clear regulatory framework. Um, I think we've got, we we clearly have a number of bills and other jurisdictions that are going to maybe provide more certainty for businesses of what they should do. I mean, we really are, we, we really run that risk right now. We're kind of like they, you want to see the regulators kind of move um, and and legislators kind of move through this. Um,
0: Going back uh, transition, let's let's talk about DeFi a little bit. You you touched on it, Richard um, and, and Roy, I would love your opinion. I mean, my view is that, Pure DeFi, which is you know permissionless, no KYC, AML, OFAC compliance. I don't I don't envision a scenario in which pure DeFi, the, the way purists in the industry see it, will be allowed in the United States. But how do you guys see a path to having sort of a DeFi environment, but but that has the right safeguards in place um, you know, to allow it to stay compliant with with U.S. and global regulation?
2: I'll take a first step, and Rachel feels free to chime in. I think, I think broadly, uh, you know, the 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 native <laughs> DeFi, um, you know, may may still exist outside the regulatory parameters, right? So it would be what I call today the shadow, the equivalent of a shadow banking, and and people can still operate in that. If we're thinking about bringing DeFi-like capabilities, you know, within the regulated parameters in the US. You know, the, the, the first question would be, who's your counterpart on this other side? You know, if you're using a DeFi capabilities, can you uh, K, KYC, uh, KYT, uh, your, your, the wallet sitting on the other side, that wallet address, can you identify that wallet address belongs to Roy or John or Richard? Um, once you believe you know, have that capabilities and, and there are a few experiments already happening in that place, John. So it's, I, I would call it a, will be a combination of a wall garden, DeFi based, uh, parameter where where you know where the players are, they can play in a DeFi uh, exercise, but ma- again, maintain the fact that we know where those players are. We we we, know we have we've we've done the current trust. We know that whoever sits behind this again is 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 not someone who will do some nefarious activities and will bring will, will bring that entity or set of entities who are playing in the, the DeFi. That's, that's the underlying set of capabilities you need to start with in order to move there. Um, and, and again, as I said, there are, we know that there are a few uh, potential exercises or pilots happening in the industry around that. Clearly, if, if we move to a complete you know, digital identity solution, which may happen down the line, then you can really authenticate who the person is. And then you can know, OK, so now I can really open it for DeFi because I know who the players are. It will take a couple of years to get there, even more than that. Richard? Yeah, I-, I, think
1: it, I think it starts off with, with who is the protocol owner and what governance model are you comfortable with? You know, I think there's a debate. I think regulators think that most of those are not decentralized. And so what is decentralized? What is the protocol owner? Now, if you have a regulated institution that owns a DeFi app, you would argue maybe that regulated institutions who I anchor all of my regulatory expectations against, it gets easier for a regulator. If you have a DeFi company not regulated, you know, it's out there in the distance and it's it's trying to make the case it's decentralized. I think you've really got to come up with a checklist or a view of what you want to see. And I think Roy's exactly right. You're going to need, um, if you're moving money or you're transferring value, um, like what could happen, John, is regulators come out and say, anytime you move a USD stablecoin, you need to be registered in the US. So then what do you do with these DeFi folks so they're not going to when they deal with a US person so there's going to be these weird I think this it's actually coming maybe indirectly with some of these bills and legislation we might see people have to put in these kind of speed bumps and then you're looking at okay everything's happening through smart contracts so how do you build in the controls on a dynamic real-time basis so that you could prove that things like best execution or um you know, KYC or OFAC are done. And then, so the whole compliance framework, I think needs to then move real time and needs to be auditable. Um, and so we actually see, I think, you know, an opportunity, you know, for, for 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 you know, a firm like us to help develop some of those tools. Um, if you really want it, you know, there's going to be always DeFi that exists outside of, of the regulated perimeter. I'm more talking about, the The applications that you want to start touching USD or that you want to start to make a bridge to traditional finance rails, and I do think there are some folks that want to do that. Um, how do you do that?
0: Roy, could you give us some examples of the way Deloitte works with clients? Um, you know, I think it's it's all, always interesting for people that are watching here. We have a lot of whether it be, uh protocols or exchanges or or digital banks that, that watch our program and participate in salt conferences but i think some examples of how deloitte works with some clients would be interesting for
2: our viewers to hear so you know i will look at it at two angles right so if you're talking about and i will start actually with native cryptos who are trying to build capabilities in this place the, the, you know, those those clients in our in our perspective as, as we move towards them is you know what products or services you' are trying to provide to what I call more of traditional financial clients in this space or or not even even non-traditional financial clients, if you're trying to help corporates to move into the space. What are the set of capabilities? What are the products? what are is the under uh, underlying protocols, technologies? Is it is it you know, do you need to help to, to build? Do you need permissibility? and and this way we we work with the client to think about, you know, what have you built today? What do you need to get to a product that will be safe, secure, resilient, um, and, and will support regulatory parameters? Now, if you think about the other side of it, where you got traditional finance clients who are trying to move into, into this space, then and as we mentioned earlier, right? Do you, do you have the right risk and control framework to allow you to operate in this space? Do you have the right? I'll call it muscle memory from a staff perspective. People who understand what are the different and unique risks that 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 are presenting themselves as you try to put additional products and services. Do you understand? You know, if you are if you are trading like on a blockchain, the fact that you cannot bust a trade like in do it today. You know, you you have ops people that need to learn those capabilities what What is your future strategy in terms of of your set of clients, institutional versus versus retail clients? Uh, and then, as you think about the the, the potential bill in this space, we you know we have a number of set of capabilities and resources who actually assist our clients really develop solutions on a specific set of protocols, and we help clients with that as well. so it's it's really the full gamut of those services. and and I, I should also mention, we also have our tax capabilities. So you know what does it mean to navigate this area from a tax perspective? And clearly, I'm outside my rails when I speak about tax, but having that dialogue, and when we go to clients, we go with those you know self capabilities because really it's as it is and an evolving area, and regulators and and requirements are changing. and And lastly, also we clearly bring our audit audit functions our audit practice as well. Again, you need to you'll need to put something on your financial statements for this. What does it mean from an audit perspective? And and it can, clearly, we have clients we provide uh, audit capabilities as well as well, John.
0: Yeah, Deloitte. I think trusted intermediaries. It's important in the wake of something like the FTX failure. I think people are going to continue to gravitate towards institutions that that uh, are trusted on a number of different functions. And I think certainly Deloitte. Uh, You guys have already built a tremendous practice in this space, but I think you'll see companies continue to seek your counsel um, as they build out their uh, or carve out their role within this new um, financial infrastructure that we're building. Richard, do you have any examples that you'd like to point to of of clients that you've worked with uh, or ways you've worked with clients that you think uh, sort of display how Deloitte offers a unique perspective?
1: I think I think you guys summed it up nicely. I would just say that we are often on the we we enter at different points of the journey. Want to launch a company? Want to buy it? Want to remediate issues? Um, uh, I need an auditor. I need a tax and tax opinion. I think what what you know just a just a simple example. We would have you know a client wants to um, you know get a license or launch a product. We're bringing all parts of the firm: AML, cyber, uh, tax, consulting and trying to say here's the policies you need to think about here's the procedures here's the controls so i think we've recognized and in that kind of project where a client wants to let's just say move money cross border we're tapping into our uk firm we're tapping into our singapore firm and we're all attacking the issues our best cyber mind our best aml mind our best risk and right person like literally because we're in this space we work as a, a unit across probably 10 domain areas 15. And I gotta tell you, it's tough for these clients because, you know, to hire that cyber person or to hire that former AML officer, you know, that's hard for them. And, you know, we have the experiences of auditing some of these companies. So we know what the internal control should look like. So I, I would just say, you know, on that kind of an example, when we're looking at a future operating model, doing it as a team, doing it cross-functionally, that's the power of the firm. I think that's when we're at our best, to be frank. And we're doing that work right now, and we all pull each other in. Um, and you know, it's it's intense. I mean, I wouldn't say this is this is not for the faint of heart right now. Um, there are you know uh, a number of uh, tough 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 projects, tough things to do. Um, but I think we are um, we're in it, we're leaning in, and we're working together. And and I think it takes a system, it takes a village, um, which is why Roy and I um, you know we tag team a lot. Uh, we're we're running a, like three or four projects together.
0: Very well said. And I think, you know, companies like Deloitte and BlackRock and others, they don't get into an industry because it's in vogue. They get into it because they believe in the underlying technology. And it's great to see uh, companies continuing to build in the space, despite the hiccups that we've seen that have been, you know, failures of of centralized exchanges or failures of regulation or or of different natures. Um, but, But great to see you guys continuing to lead the charge in terms of helping clients understand regulation and to build uh, frameworks that are going to help us find a constructive way forward. So Richard Rosenthal, Roy Ben-Hur from Deloitte, great to have you on Salt Talks and hope to see you perhaps in person at one of our our future events.
2: Thank you, John. Wish you you well. Thank you, John. Have a great day.
0: And thank you, everybody, for tuning into today's Salt Talk with Richard and Roy. Just a reminder that if you missed any part of this talk or any of our previous Salt Talks, we make all of these available for free on demand on our website at salt.org backslash talks and on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube. And finally, you can listen to these in audio form anywhere that you can uh, consume podcasts as well. Uh, we're on social media. Twitter is where we're most active at Salt Conference, but we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook as well. And please spread the word about these Salt Talks. Again, if you have uh, that uncle at your Thanksgiving table who, who thinks that... Uh, blockchain is is some crackpot uh, concoction that that these young guys down in the Bahamas have cooked up. It's much broader than that. Um, and it's great for people to hear from uh, people like Richard and Roy who have deep experience in the traditional finance world that are helping lead the charge in, ter- in terms of regulatory frameworks and, and constructive processes within digital assets. But on behalf of the entire SALT team, this is John Darcy signing off from SALT Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.